0: Hello, and welcome back to 19 Hits the Dragon, a show about Dungeons and Dragons, tabletop RPGs, and the vastness of nerd culture in general. I'm Mike Daniel, and I am joined, as always, by Rob Mackey. How are you doing, Rob?
1: (sighs) The Vikings fucking suck this year, man. Like, <laughs> it's real bad. It's I'm just, sorry. There's just despair and a half. I, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's just, you know, maybe, you know, if the, if it's going to cause me that much sorrow, maybe this will get me to, you know, drink less in the afternoon on a Sunday, which, you know. That's some you're in your 20s shit is what that is. But uh, I'm fine, though. Things are all right. How are you doing?
0: Oh, good. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh, not a huge football fan. So thankfully, I don't have to disparage over any of the teams sucking that I would normally root for.
1: You are wise. Uh,
0: yes. Well, you know, I, I grew up in Texas, so I was a big Cowboys fan. And then they started sucking. And then I was like, eh, maybe I don't care so much about football anymore. So, Yep.
1: They never stopped since. It's great.
0: <laughs> they really have it, from my understanding. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so today uh, we are here to continue our discussion about combat and how to run combat, how to make it interesting. Um, part two is going to kick us off with some tactical advice. So, what do you got for us today, Rob?
1: All right. Before I get started on my whole tactical spiel, I would first like to um credit uh the great Keith Aman. A man, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. Um and for this Keith, I apologize profusely, but uh Keith runs an essential blog that I stumbled onto like early 2019. Um or so. It's called The Monsters Know What They're Doing. It's at themonstersknow.com. That's all one word. And it was kind of a revelation for me because, um, when I have DM'd in the past, like, I found that, like, I, um, didn't know how to think about tactics coherently. And I think his, uh, I think his website and his, like, teachings have done a great job of, like, organizing, like, how to think about this sort of thing and what, to actually consider when you're thinking of how to put together a like strategic framework for the monsters that you're using so i want to give keith full credit for that and just kind of acknowledge that this is not this is going to be less me um talking about my own ideas and me more kind of acting as like a, i guess a cultist uh, of sorts i don't i don't Like, I break with his ideas in some ways, but, like, you know, this is me kind of more preaching somebody else's, like, um, Mm -hmm. foundational things than it is, like, me exhorting my own um, ideas out into the ether. So, I think what I start with now, though, and what he kind of teaches is... um. Tactics are kind of about finding out what each monster or NPC does best and finding ways to maximize that. That's the first thing. The second thing um, that uh, is another one of the things that I didn't even think about until I read Keith's stuff is almost every monster in D&D wants to live. You don't always think about this when you're playing um, D&D. I think this is actually kind of another one of those things where video games inform your preconception of D&D going in. So once you're actually playing <laughs> mm-hmm, d sure. you don't necessarily step out of it. But just about every um, uh, video game RPG you play, like, combat is to the death always it just kind of is right. no uh it's rare that um people surrender I um most of the video game RPGs that I've played historically um that are closest to d are uh the Bioware games so like your Baldur's Gates and I have played lots and lots of Mass Effect I played Dragon Age Origins extensively usually when somebody even surrenders it's like kind of a plot point that this is even happening for sure. And when you look at it this other way, it kind of tilts things. Uh, it kind of tilts that logic on its head. Because all of a sudden, once you accept that, uh, you're not going to have monsters just running up at the tank until they die. It's kind of the first um, object lesson in they have their own goals and they mostly want to live and they're going to act to preserve themselves when necessary so yeah
0: that's a good point no i think that a lot of combat in D D does tend to revolve around that idea of fighting to the death right you're always slaughtering any monsters or You know, bandits or whatever that you come up to, and as DMs, and I often lose track of this as well. You kind of forget that, well, this person probably wants to live and they're going to fight, but they might not necessarily be willing to fight to the death. Um, So, what does that mean in terms of? tactics and and so forth and arranging combat to to you rob like how how do you kind of use these ideas to inform your decision making and so forth in when it comes to combat and running combat
1: okay i guess when you put it that way like the survival or not question is kind of the broader context of tactics in that tactics are really are your chance to characterize your villains in most D D games that I've played in and all of the ones I've run, like there's no there's no cutscene where you cut away to the villain's lair and he's just like, uh or he is like, ooh, my designs, my wheels within wheels, mwa You don't <laughs> right. you don't see that stuff in most DD games. If you run the sort of game where you think that'd be okay and you'd be cool with doing that for your players. By all means, go ahead, but I've never seen it, and I've never done it. So, the survival question is a question of... Ties into the context in which this um, character and monster is existing. What is this character trying to do right now? Are they... A lot of times, they're defending territory, especially if you put them in some sort of dungeon crawl situation when you put your players in a dungeon crawl situation a lot of that is territory sometimes there are um or in a dungeon crawl alternatively you could say it's like well your party is trying to get the treasure alternatively these enemies whoever they may be are also trying to get the treasure for sure Um, sometimes they are um sometimes they're kind of like hit squads that are going after the party which is kind of a different situation. I don't know um, where that would work out in terms of how they would survive. I mean, I mean, excuse me. That was the most batshit way to say the sentence that I was trying to say. And I, yeah, I will, let's try this again. So a hit squad, say, um, let's back up first. Let's talk again about somebody who's in a dungeon crawl. So, say you are in a dungeon crawl situation and your party is um, trying to get some treasure, as are a bunch of goblins. The goblins don't live there, they are also trying to get the treasure. A lot. That's definitely the sort of situation where the goblins, once things start not going their way, they're going to consider trying to bug out of it you could even go one step further and like say that in that same situation like instead of starting out with combat maybe the goblins want to cut a deal right away or if they're kobolds they want to do that too mm-hmm. something like that um so moving on i guess to uh, a hit squad a hit squad as well i think is going to try In most situations, most but not all, let's say your head squad, let's say they're just paid off goons, right? Paid off goons, by definition, do not want to die. They aren't going to get to spend their money if they don't. if they don't succeed on if they're that. not
0: alive to spend it yeah
1: <laughs> yeah they're not gonna be alive to they're not gonna be alive to spend it so if they're hired goons they'll probably also tuck tail uh, when things start to not go their way um if they're um so yeah if a dragon is fighting uh, a party not in their lair that's kind of the key, and I'll sur- hold that thought because I kind of want to circle back to it later. Um, if a dragon or other like boss is fighting the party outside of their lair, they're going to leave as soon as like uh, the combat is not going to their immediate satisfaction. They'll be like, mm-hmm. if they take a couple hits, they'll be like, Psh, this isn't worth it, I'm going to dip. For sure. Um, so, yeah. So... My point again: most of the time, play, people want to live, and that extends to um, your monsters as well. Uh, now we gotta talk about in lair, though, because in lair is a different uh, thing. Um, if you are actually, if your party is actually in a monster's living space that increases the odds for me that they are going to be more willing to fight to the death even in that context though you have to consider what else is going on is like is this their home do they have something that they're trying to protect are they maybe does the area have some territory have some sort of religious significance maybe if you don't have even if your party is in a monster's home if you don't have a compelling reason why they should fight to the death they still might not try and do it another um but for boss monsters i think that uh calculus changes just a bit because a lot of time bosses by their definition are guarding something a dragon is guarding its treasure hoard and dragons in terms of the like characteristic characteristics of dragons, they are always trying to get as much wealth as they can. So their treasure hoards are very valuable to them and they are extremely unlikely to abandon them without extremely compelling reason.
0: For sure. And, uh, a lich is going to, you know, protect its phylactery as well. You know, he's not a just lich is gonna going to protect its
1: phylactery. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Ah.
0: No, I was just going to say they're not going to dip out of their, you know, layer where their phylactery is vulnerable. Then they're going to take that opportunity to fight to the death. Just kind of building on what you were saying there about the the dragons and you know other creatures will have these motivations uh, as well first these things that are valuable to them that they're willing to put their lives on the line for
1: for sure um although i would say with liches though here's another thing like this is gonna tie it back into another um major point i want to get to at some point about kind of ability scores because i feel like and The characterization of your villains because liches i feel like are basically always going to be super paranoid right Mm -hmm. like they're really smart they've been around forever they've seen some shit they are extremely concerned with their own like i mean they're undead so survival is maybe not the right word but they're very concerned about
0: (laughs) their the continuation of their existence certainly
1: That was the exact words I was going to use is continuation. Yeah. So so I would almost say that, like, depending on your story considerations, um, this is kind of another thing I kind of want to point out before proceeding is that you can fudge all of this depending on what kind of game you want to run certainly if you like have true. if you have a like big uh boss fight with a lich at your end of the, your campaign and you want to make sure that the party is able to destroy said lich and bring peace and happiness to wherever that's fine but to me i would almost say that most liches probably don't even keep their phylacteries in their actual lair they squirrel it away somewhere yeah, else true. entirely so that when yeah. somebody does come to get them yeah, it's not a problem. Because also, most liches probably don't leave their lairs ever, really. hmm Anyway. So, another um, compelling reason that monsters would fight to the death is they're under some compulsion. Um, golems, for example. Golems always going to fight to the death because, at least, let me rephrase that. So golems are usually some sort of guardian. They will only fight to the death as long as the party presents some sort of threat to whatever it is they're guarding. Most constructs are like this. They don't have their own motivations. They are created and given a set of instructions. And when they're being used in combat, it means that part of their instructions were to typically to defend this thing. There are some, I forget what they were called, but in 3.5 at least, there were these, um, I should look this up in a bit, but there were some ones that were like, if you violate the laws of the universe, like, the lawful neutral plane will send these constructs after you. Oh,
0: mm-hmm, for sure. I forget what
1: they're called, uh, I'll look it up in a sec. But
0: Yeah, there is a 5th edition one as well uh, that has a very specific Use to it, which is for contracts. But
1: continue. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So my point here for the short term is, yeah, constructs are always going to fight to the death as long as whatever they're defending is threatened. Um. Anything, any uh, extra planar entities that are being encountered on the material plane, they're also going to fight to the death too because their death right. is cheap.
0: It doesn't exactly. If they die on the material plane, then they just bamf away back to their home plane, and it's fine. Uh, Unless they have some sort of restrictions around them, as in earlier editions, where you know demons aren't able to—demons and devils, I think, both aren't able to come to the material plane unless they get summoned there. Um, So they might be a little less apt in that sort of situation to fight to the death if they have restrictions on. Of getting back to the material plane
1: hmm sure interesting
0: at least that's that i'm not sure if that was actually a thing in uh editions or maybe it was just pieces of lore from the forgotten realms books but anyway that was just something i was throwing out there
1: uh, no it's cool there's a ton of lore out there man like i um there's a uh there's another website i'm gonna drop here they're called uh, dumpstatadventures.com and they'll they'll occasionally do like um they'll do articles on like the history of like a specific concept in D &D, and they will like bring out like they will bring out like in this edition of dragon magazine and you're like oh geez. That's right. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Dragon Magazine just has so much Chris Perkins seems stuff to
0: like it. have all of those in his brain. When you watch the Lore You Should Know videos with him, because he, he was an editor for them, but he always has the exact issue of Dragon Magazine that he needs to go to, like pulls it out of thin air. It's insane.
1: Yeah, dang. All right. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> tactics. <laughs> yeah, tactics. All right, so, yeah. Uh, creatures summoned to to the material plane that will uh respawn on their native plane once killed yeah they're just gonna fight to the death because why not for the most part um also um any uh yeah uh in on the monsters no uh he refers to it as um fanatics I but I yeah which. Obviously conjures up sort of like kind of cultish things. But I would say any any entity that's some sort of like true believer will also fight to the death, I guess. I guess that's Mm. not really a different way to think about it. But like if they're just like, yeah, anyone who for some psychological reason is no longer afraid of death, yeah, they're going to act like it.
0: For sure, yeah. And uh, you kind of alluded to something a minute ago, but any creatures that are not under their own control, not just constructs, but sometimes things will be under mind control, like a, you know, a, um, what's the word, the vampire's thrall, or, a, you know, someone that's been, uh, had their mind taken over by mind flayers, you know, they may be more inclined to fight to the death. Whereas a normal, like, you know, bandit that hasn't been mind controlled isn't going to do that. But because someone else is manipulating these creatures' minds, you know, they may not have as much of a sense of self-preservation as others do.
1: That's also true, too. Mind flayers are a good example of that, too, because a mind flayer specifically is kind of viewing all of its minions as the thing that is getting killed that's not it right exactly yeah for sure yeah that's a very good example i uh, sorry I'm trying to look up this um, what these uh, monsters from 3.5 I was thinking of were and I'm only mm-hmm. finding results for modrons and I don't think that was it so I'm gonna kind of keep hammering mm-hmm. away on this for a second but um, anyway not right this second but anyway the meta point I'm trying to make here is that most things want to live, but there are definitely exceptions to that. So think about what your um, monsters are doing, what they are, tr- what they want basically, and kind of a structure tactically around that. Do they want to live? Are they trying to defend territory? Are they trying to just kill the party because that's their mission? yeah think about that place place your combat in context i guess
0: yeah that's a great way to summarize the point so far is you know none of this none of these combats uh scenarios or encounters are happening in a vacuum right these are people and creatures with um some sort of history and some sort of sense of self-preservation for the most part so just be aware of you know what like like rob said what sort of context you are um pulling from or putting things into when it comes to having
1: these encounters yeah all right so moving on The first thing I always, when it comes time to the nitty gritty of how to plan out my tactics, the first thing I always look at is my monster's stat line. Because the stat line is going to give you the quickest insight into what is this monster good at? What are they best at? Um, Things that have high strength um, and a lot of hit points are kind of best used in the front line things that don't have as good a, have as many hit points or as high of a constitution modifier are best kind of in back obviously and um yeah also this is another one of Keith's saws that I never really considered until he brought it up but creatures with higher mental stats uh have more are better able to size up the party and make more judicious selections of targets based on how their abilities match up with the party's abilities um and in the case that's mostly how and he breaks down intelligence and then wisdom is kind of more of a it's more, again, the refined like fight or flight instinct as well as being able to kind of see the battlefield, obviously. Um, so I always start there. I try and uh, see what how this kind of monster profiles and um, make that the foundation. The next thing to look for is uh, any sort of special abilities this monster has. This one kind of frustrates me in a standard 5th edition stat block, because some special abilities, um, and this isn't necessarily a problem with a stat block, this is just kind of how it is, because some monster special abilities are a bit more passive, and they tend to be in the, like, space between the, like stat block it um from the ability stats um and the actions list whereas some are kind of more a- uh special actions and then those are listed under the actions so keep your eyes open and clear and looking out for any signs of like oh this is weird and different and these are pretty they're mostly pretty easy to spot because they usually take a lot of text up and they require some explanation so your eye should kind of go to those. I mean, I'm not trying to judge people's like, eyes, <laughs> I guess,
0: you know. like can, I can't... Can I chime in with a specific example and uh, comparison? Yeah, one yeah. sec.
1: <laughs> Time to bring out my monster manual. Uh, uh, oh, God. Why did I do that? <laughs> <sighs> okay.
0: It's cool. We all want to be the count in the back of our heads.
1: We all um, do want to be the count in the back of our heads. I think he has a good gig. He, <laughs> he he does. He counts. Uh and he seems jovial. He's happy to do He's doing what he loves, man.
0: Like He's a landowner. I mean, he's a count, right? So Yeah. That's pretty solid.
1: Yeah, he's nobility. Like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and uh uh-huh. he, yeah, he has a cushy gig and uh Yeah. He seems very enthusiastic every time you see you see him. Like, yeah, he's great. Absolutely. So I opened up my monster manual and I came to the Bone Devil. Bone Devil is kind of an um, interesting one because, um, like, this is more. So the profile here. Let's start with its ability scores. It has. Everything is a plus here, so that's interesting <laughs> and I guess to be expected um but more importantly, all its physical stats are pretty dang high nothing is there is less than a plus three and the mental stats are oh not quite as good it's very charismatic, but other than that
0: as many devils are yeah the well the bone devil is also a fairly high CR like of the lesser devils before we get into like the arch devils and stuff so for sure it's it's mid to upper tier i think what's the cr on that you got it in front of
1: it you. it is a nine.
0: Oh, okay i was thinking it was over 10 but anyway yeah, cool. continue
1: yeah but this one is actually pretty straightforward um because uh yeah it has good physical stats and while it has it has interesting passive uh passive abilities um it can't it can see in magical darkness and it has advantage on saving throws against magic stuff gen- broadly construed i'm trying to like say this out in a way that's not just reading the text verbatim <laughs> for some reason i've always been allergic <laughs> sure. to reading text verbatim i just like it gives me the details just every time and i don't know why it's a real mm. problem why i can't do adventures league sometimes <laughs> not not so much that but sorry i'm babbling good God. anyway <laughs> but you know how in adventures league it's like read this text aloud and i'm like yeah I, do yeah. i have oh, I, to I, though I like well i, I want to judge i, I want to judge this up real nice like are there ways mm-hmm. i can do this i'm always hustling for that anyway but anyway, in terms of actions, there's not much that it does. It uh, it has claws and it has a stinger, and that's and the stinger does extra poison damage and that's about it it can fly though that's that's an important one too that's an important I thing i always to...
0: forget that bone devils have a flying speed yeah this
1: is that this is actually very instructive and i'm glad this happened this way because i forgot to mention this beforehand and till just now when i saw it also um really if not a before but a Immediately after you look at the ability scores, look for extra movement types because those are huge. They are all they are an inherent advantage over basically every party because every PC has is going to have limited options for um, alternate movement types. Very few of them can swim naturally. Um, uh, they are. Or fly or climb and like, even if we're talking fifth edition too, like in previous editions, you'd be like the wizard can fly and it's like, yeah, but he has to hold concentration now. So maybe he can't or doesn't want to. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. For sure
0: and there are certain races that will give different types of speed but generally speaking they're only going to have one type with that right so they can they get a climbing speed or they get a flying speed or stuff like that
1: for sure and uh, yeah and that that that's fair too because even among monsters that have different movement types very few of them have more than one right yeah anyway
0: but chances are your entire party is not going to be able to fly for the most part unless you've given them all a lot of ridiculous items or they all play the same like three races that
1: have a fly speed for um, sure yeah yeah so yeah anyway so what we're looking at here with the bone devil is a monster that uh can fly around but mostly just does melee attacks but since it can fly around it's going to try since it can fly around and since it's kind of smart, it's going to try and find ways to fly past the party's front line and get at those back rank, uh, people and start seeing if it can mess them up. That's kind of my take on this here. You kind so for sure, you see, you see the kind of, uh, th- thought process, I guess how it works. Look at the abilities, look for different movement types. Um, look to see um and then look to see at its abilities both passive and active and how those kind of form a picture of how this monster is supposed to work and how it can be its most menacing let's uh, take a look at somebody else somebody maybe a bit more sophisticated
0: While you're uh, pulling stuff up, can I give the example I was thinking of a second ago? It's just kind of comparing a couple of things.
1: Almost definitely.
0: Um, And I I don't know, I I actually should have been pulling up my uh, monster's manual or uh, other resources while you were doing that. But um, just to kind of dive in here, um, looking at like two different types of low level undead, right? So you have like a, a specter. Um, That is a sort of ghostly figure, incorporeal body. They have some um, features in there that allow them to move through people and objects. Um, So they might be inclined to, similar to how Rob mentioned, the Bone Devil, just kind of bypass the front line and get to whatever it is that they're trying to get to in, in the back. Whether it's a certain person or, you know, whatever. Um, so they, they have that ability to just sort of pass through your party and get into, uh, the back there and sort of mix things up there. Um, and they do have more like melee type, um, actions to take as well. Their, their touch, uh, is like the thing that they do that hurts you. Um, whereas there is something like a, um, a zombie, they don't have that incorporealness right there's just walking corpse here but zombies have a thing where when you take them down if they go to zero hit points unless they take you know certain types of damage or get a critical hit then they have a chance that they might still keep just one hit point remaining rather than actually drop to zero so they're going to be ones that you want to send at the front line to you know soak up damage while your ghosts or specters or whatever are bleeding through your front line and getting to the 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 uh, back further back group of the party
1: for sure and that's kind of another like good point for there's kind of a broader point there for any time you have more than one monster type is that um yeah think about um how they work together basically the specters and the zombies provide a very good example of that because again Um, the zombies Mm -hmm. are always the dumbest ones, right? Like, and they,
0: (laughs) for sure. And they're they're just
1: kind of gonna do their thing. And their thing is walking forward slowly and at things and then trying to bite it. Whereas specters are going to like, are able to kind of view that situation and, um, figure out ways to work that to their advantage, whatever the zombies end up doing. Unless that's getting mowed down. And Exactly. which you know sometimes happens this is a game of dice yeah anyway so i brought i uh was looking for some uh thing that had maybe a bit more kind of magical ability and i landed Mm -hmm. on the death slot let's take a look
0: okay yeah let's talk about it
1: slots are one of my very favorite monsters in all of dnd i um you i almost never get to use them because they're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> they're nuts and they're terrifying and they don't... It feels like... um, While my experience is limited, and I acknowledge this, um, a lot of the adventures that I have seen and I have run don't use them. And I get it because slot encounters can get real out of control real quickly. Although 5th edition is merciful in that I believe yeah I believe the red slot is the only one that can actually infect players with chaos phage at this in this edition.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No, nope, blue slots can too. So, yeah, so the two okay. weakest of the slots can actually do the nastiest historical slot thing, which is infect players with the chaos phage, which implants the eggs in its brain. That's kind of another tactical point. I know we're not talking about those slots, but like, you, if you think about, like, if the idea is, like, survival, then obviously a monster that, like, propagates eggs in, like, the players is going to try and do so at every opportunity. That's what it's all about. Anyway, let's take a look at the deck sure. slot. Okay, uh, no special movement types. It does have blindsight, which is can be useful, Um, but it can also see normally, which is interesting. It can also communicate telepathically, um, which is fun if it chooses to um, talk to people, I guess. That's always so fun. Anytime, if you're me, like anytime a monster does have telepathy and the players don't necessarily know that, I like sending them a quick like, hey there or something. Just kind of give them a nice little jump scare, kind of freak them out, you know. Mm. Just, you know. Yeah, for Put sure. some seasoning on it, don't you know. <laughs> anyway so the death slot has extremely high dex and constitution um, and relatively high charisma Um, I said dex didn't I
0: it has extremely yeah, high it's strength it's good strength Yeah, it has okay, extremely dex. high strength and, and good, constitution
1: huh? it's dex is a plus 2 which is better than my characters ever have but you know <laughs> <laughs> anyway
0: uh, yep
1: but um, yeah, and uh, it can uh, it can uh, shape change, which uh, into a humanoid-sized creature, which can be very useful from like a gotcha perspective. Um, you can get your party's attention by having some like um, somebody, um, either some rando or maybe somebody. That the players ostensibly know and they try and uh, get and they're trying to have a conversation with them and then they have this person just babbling at them in slot for some reason like that's some fun stuff right there anyway um but uh, it does some regeneration which is neat but what I really mostly want to talk about um with the slot here is its spell slots It has, uh, innate, some innate casting, which is a good way to talk about, um, spell slots in general. Don't hoard spell slots with your monsters. (laughs) Just don't do it. (laughs) Like, yeah, even if, um, if, uh, you have a caster, um, who's, uh, yeah, casting, even if we assume that this, um... This caster is going to duck out, at if not the first sign of trouble, like once things start going south. Even if we assume they're going to duck out and is going to try and fight another day, you can assume that they're going to try, at least do their level best to get a long rest before the next time they confront the party. Don't hoard your spell slots. This can be a little tricky at higher levels. Um, At some point, I was on... I forget which subreddit this was but somebody raised a question of I, I want to use I don't know if I want to use power word kill like it seems like the thing to do but also like I'm worried that it's cheap and I'm like yes pow- power world kill is cheap by its nature so um Keep in mind in this sort of situation that you can always use those ninth level slots on something else. Like if you want to, true, yeah. If you want to throw a cone of cold at them at ninth level, maybe you want to do that. If you are worried about, like, um, if you are worried about, if you have a monster that has some of these super high level slots, and you are worried that the things that they can do are just going to be like too cheap for your players or something like that just remember you can always upcast and that's a good way to like not to still use those slots and um make things nice and tense but without using some of those spells that can get just out of fucking control Or you
0: can do what I do in that situation, which is to hoard the ninth level slots, so that you can use the other slots to wear down people, and then if you have that power word kill in your back pocket, you know that they need to be at least, you know, under 100 HP, so you want the tank, if you're going to use that, you want the tank to get drained quite a bit of health before you're casting that. Because chances are if your party is going up against someone that has ninth level slots, uh, they probably have enough HP that casting that at the beginning of the combat encounter is not a good idea for um, for that lich or that arch wizard, or whatever that has power word kill. So um,
1: maybe. I mean, yeah. Just the way I would see uh, the the wizard probably has less than a hundred. Uh,
0: usually, I guess. If yeah. Okay. Let me. you could use it on the wizard. Now
1: I want to calculate this out. So. Let's say our <laughs> wizard. Let's um. Let's see, three point five times twenty. That's a total of seventy. So if they don't have a con mod, yeah. If they don't have a con mod, there they'll have seventy hit points on average at level twenty. True. So yeah. Okay. And like also, this is again.
0: Well, if you're taking the average by rules as written, it's not 3.5. You're taking four every time. So,
1: oh, sure.
0: Four times twenty is a hundred.
1: Sure. Okay. So in terms, um, of, I guess I wasn't thinking that as so much as taking the average as like expected average. I guess.
0: Really, yeah. Okay. I guess there is yeah. that that difference so there. Four, so fair. Yeah. So, but um,
1: still, four times twenty yeah. brings you to eighty. So you're still under a hundred. Um,
0: or yeah, I guess not. Yeah. yeah. I did quick math in my head and I'm dumb. So I said 100, but yeah, it is 80. That's, that's how numbers work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's anyway, it's all good,
1: man. Uh, <laughs> these things happen. Uh, I didn't even take pre-calc. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm getting, I'm getting a bit off track. Uh, but I do want to say for before sure. uh, going on, but this is another one of those things where, don't do what Rob does because Rob kills his players and then they get all mad. But the, <laughs> the way I think of it, it I see that's like, well if you're a wizard, if you have a wizard who has power word kill, and again, bad guy wizards earn, yeah. Evil wizards, just like liches, I think are basically always really fricking paranoid, right? And they hate they're going to hate competition. So I think, uh, I would think that if, uh, if I'm running in in a, when I think of what an evil wizard does when he comes across a party that has a wizard in it, that wizard's going to try and straight up kill the other wizard as soon as possible. Use that sparingly and with discretion and with a mind towards, um, What your players will actually tolerate in terms of getting offed in the cheapest way possible, because that's (laughs) absolutely what that is. Yeah, for sure. So the death slot. All right. (laughs) Yes, we're staying on task. Do do do.
0: One hundred percent focused here. Okay. Um, but we were talking about its spellcasting abilities is where we got off track. So.
1: It's true because I start. I was I was gotten to my whole thing about not hoarding spell slots, and then I, cause um, yeah, the death slot has uh, it has at wills, and then it has a couple two a day spells, and then it has a couple one a day spells. Um, let's start with the right. one a day spells, cause we got cloud kill and we got plane shift. If you are like me, mm-hmm. you think cloud kill in fifth edition is a complete waste of time because it is. Um, and so let's set that one aside. Plane shift is the interesting one here because plane shift is a freaking get out of whatever. As long as it can get back to its own turn and it's about to die, it is hopping on its plane shift out of here, back to limbo, like nothing happened. Um, so that's one, that's the, this is the sort of thing that you want to like keep an eye out for is ways that, um... If everything is trying to, if most things are trying to survive, most things, um, that have a, like, really cool means of getting out of trouble very quickly and efficiently are going to use that. That may seem like kind of a self-evident point, um, but in the heat of, like, looking at, uh, monster stat block, these can be sort of hard to spot. Or at least, if not hard to spot, then hard to like see and immediately like come to that conclusion like that. So I kind of wanted to highlight that. Um, then it gets a couple uses of fear, fireball, fly, and tongues. (laughs) Tongues is an interesting one. It's a fun one, but let's leave that one aside because it has a bit less direct uh, combat application. Um... Fly can be useful. Um, it is concentration, which kind of stinks. Um, I want to give me one sec. I want to see if fear is concentration as well.
0: I got it. Uh, yes, it is concentration too. Okay. So you're going to have to balance which of those you're you're using. Yeah. But I mean, the slod could cast fly on itself and then fly around on its subsequent turns and drop fireballs on the party. So.
1: Yeah. Um, i would almost say though be um hmm this one's a tricky one because in its at wills spells the most intriguing one well it can do major image at will which is not nothing although if you're like me like your your brain space is you know occasionally kind of compromised and (laughs) In the sense that like me, I can't, I feel like I can never think of great illusions, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's fun. I like, I like it when I feel like I like it when my players use illusions, because that's a good excuse for me to be like, okay, you know what? This sounds like a cool idea and I'm willing to allow this. Right. But when it comes to me coming up with them, I'm just like, I don't know. It's a dragon. Shit. What do you want from me? anyway but the main the most interesting of its um, at wills is invisibility um which is of course also concentration um mm-hmm. what I this is uh, going to I'm going to just say this now and it's going so I can start making this a recurring theme of like my persona I guess but concentration has fucked up so much of Arcane magic in fifth edition like I get why they did it <laughs> but like I kind of look at this and I want to say it's like okay so <clears throat> cast fear on everybody that's attacks wisdom so that should that there's a good chance that takes out the front line and then when it does that you can get up on the back line with your ridiculous strength and make your melee attacks on the less tanky types and then well it, you couldn't do it quite like that either because invisibility is an action too right right okay so i'm getting ahead of myself anyway but um the way i would kind of break this down is like fear is a good one i would almost say that like its first turn it's going to try and use fear because fear is going to scatter the party and hopefully unless everybody saves it's going to leave people picked off also, since we're on the subject, fear is an area of effect spell. Um, and, again, hat tip to Keith on this. Every area of effect you use, you want to get at least two PCs. Just, yeah. You don't want to be dropping fireball on just the one person.
0: On one person. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, Want to make sure that your area effects are using the space that they need to. If you don't have a way to get more than one people, or more than one player uh, character with an area of effect thing, try using something else essentially
1: yeah pretty much hopefully i was gonna say you could bust out your eldritch blast but i don't know (laughs) that sorry
0: only if you're a warlock i guess
1: you don't see many npc warlocks really i think yeah there's a lot probably just because it is very specifically a player class i guess
0: yeah, there are some that were released with um, Board and Kindness Foes, the Deathlocks, which you'll be seeing on Sunday, um, Uh-oh. and already saw. <laughs> oh,
1: <Uh-oh.
0: laughs> you guys actually fought some of them already, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are a few like in the books they exist, but um, yeah, I, I don't know that I've noticed them being used in adventures a lot. Although I'd like the deathlocks, so I've used them a couple of
1: times. So Gotcha. Alright. Gotcha. So anyway, I was trying to think of a scenario where it's like, well, it casts fear and then scatters everybody and then um then uses its other stuff like it kinda like scrap it kinda Yeah, it gets up and hits somebody and then it uh, goes invisible and then dips but that's two actions so that's not going to work but i do think that is how i would play it assuming this is a death slot as boss monster certainly um if it was a death slot in some other context uh where they were either i guess it would yeah it could potentially have its own minions although that creates its own problem because slots are eight beings of pure chaos so how do you get any of them to like row the boat in the same direction you know (laughs) that's a that's a real question for me because i i do want to like when possible i like making sure my encounter groups make sense for why they'd work together you know anyway but i still think this is how i would do it certainly as a boss monster cast fear on its first round um get people scattered hopefully especially frontline people and then move in close in on, uh, people in back who maybe succeeded on their fear save, but aren't as equipped to go toe to toe with this thing. Then if that doesn't work, then you can, yeah. Then I would, uh, bust out the fireball on the second turn. And then once that has, once that has the party softened up, then I would close. And then since it is, only resists fire too so this isn't um it's not immune to it but it does resist it so you could argue Mm -hmm. that in certain um maybe not desperate it maybe not desperate in the sense of it's running low on hit points because if it's running low on hit, if it's really running low on hit points that's when you bust out the plane shift right but um yeah if it's Desperate in the sense that it's like surrounded by more of the party than it wants to be, it might cast a fireball centered on itself. Maybe, maybe not. For sure.
0: Yeah, because it does resist, so it would only take half damage at best, and then or at worst, I guess, and then uh, if it succeeds on its saving throw, it takes a quarter of damage. So it wouldn't really, you know, hurt itself too much if it has the hit points to spare in that scenario and could be effective enough to soften the party so it can get away yeah
1: for sure and then i i i, I once again transitioned without necessarily having a thing i was gonna say so <laughs> uh, all right. Lag.
0: No, I, I think you you bring up a uh, an interesting point, though, w- when we're talking about the death slot and tactics of, um, you know, you want to do things that can be done from a range first, and then get in close and you know hammer the party from there, right? Like you don't want to just run in first round and start attacking the front line if you have abilities especially that you can use that can either soften up the front line and get to the the people in the back um, or if you can just bypass the front line entirely and you know get to the more squishy characters and hurt them good and then you know rush up so use those ranged abilities first and then rush in um, when you're able to, or uh, obviously if there's, you know, multiple types of creatures in this encounter, you can kind of do that, uh, you know, one at a time, right? Like have someone that's kind of focusing on the front line and then have people in the back that are using their ranged abilities to get to the rest of the players. Yeah. Um,
1: sorry, Fumble, fumbled, the fumbled my monster manual a bit. I apologize for that. <laughs> but uh anyway, yeah, that's actually a very excellent point. I would almost go so far as to say, um, in most situations, any like really the only reason that like almost anything would just charge straight up in the first round without trying to do anything at ranged is because it can't really do much else. Um, there exactly at least from a purely tactical perspective you could certainly if again if we're putting this in like kind of a story context um if it's like a minion of some kind right and its boss whoever that boss is wants to be like no you're up front go up and go hit them like um yeah it would do that as well but also worth considering like Maybe if the boss is like sufficiently intelligent or wise or however you want to justify it to yourself, I guess, um, they would still be like, no, still hang back at range, right? Exactly. Yeah.
0: uh, I I mean, I think kind of the core here is like create advantages for your monsters. So having them make those ranged attacks first and then sort of forcing the party to come to them and use up their speed um is a good way to kind of use up some time in that first round so that um your party isn't just dumping a mountain of damage on them right away and ending the combat immediately right you want to find ways to um create some spatial or situational advantages for your creatures versus the party to kind of spice combat up a little bit um which kind of goes back to something that i said at the end of um the last episode is to use the environment to your advantage as well like if there's places where you're monsters can hide or duck behind and get cover or swoop around the party unseen. like you want to use those little bits of environment to give you advantages yes, as, as for well sure.
1: and um, also think of also um, think about numbers advantages as well this is kind of um, this is less of a boss monster thing but more of a like minion sort of thing or like if there's large groups of things obviously but um especially for any of the many like forms of like small evil things that D D is quite populated with especially at low levels Shock Full about, of absolutely yeah talking about cobalt here we're talking about goblins we're talking about um Zvarts if anybody yeah which Zvarts aren't I've seen 5th edition sparts, but they don't come up as much, um, but they're little evil guys. Um, Tazloy, more little evil guys. Mm. More li- little evil guys always are pretty much going to... When it comes to like time to kick the survival instinct in, for all of the little evil guys, it's going to be once their numbers are reduced, such so that they no longer have a significant advantage, for the most part um goblins and um anytime they're at less than kind of two-on-one strength that's when they're gonna start to be like oh geez uh even if we could take these guys maybe we don't want to um and that's also going to go for like other um I think kind of smaller enemies provided that like not necessarily small in size, but small in like power or ability. Uh if they're if their advantage in the first place if one of their inherent advantages is that there's a lot of them, um not having as many not having that advantage anymore is going to make those monsters as characters rethink their situation, I guess is my point. For sure.
0: Um yeah, and just a uh, kind of the other side of that is that when you are you know running a combat scenario, you want to um, find ways that you can to outnumber the party in terms of action economy as well. So if you have creatures that have multiple attacks, is always a good way to do multiple things within each creature's turn. I think I kind of harped on this a little bit last uh, episode as well, when it comes to like managing initiative is just being aware of the economy of action within a combat. And you want to, at least for most average fights so you want to try and have a you know more actions on your creatures turns uh, or an amount of creatures that is greater than uh the party because for the most part they're going to be able to attack multiple creatures on one turn or you know find ways to deal a lot of damage to one creature and just kind of remove it from the board right so you need to kind of start like give yourself that advantage from the get-go um So that your party really has a little bit more of a challenge to work against. Um, And then you don't end up in a situation where you have one creature and it has one thing that it can do on its one turn. And the party has, you know, between four to six actions that they're going to take before your creature gets its turn again. Essentially, is what I'm getting at.
1: For sure um yeah i think that's a very good point for any fight that you want to make like sufficiently difficult is you want you want that action economy to be if not in your favor then like pretty close to even right i think the legendary um actions for certain monsters really has changed um has really changed like what was i gonna say like a single like um creatures with legendary actions are kind of like viable as single boss monsters even for high level parties in a way that feels kind of new um at least to me as a like for sure. 5 I... slash pathfinder like um since i was raised on that kind of like that was always kind of a problem for me when um I was DMing Pathfinder. Is that it's like they could fight this single boss monster, but they'll overrun it, right? Right. It was kind of, it was a problem in the fourth edition game I was playing into after a certain point. Um. But uh, yeah, fifth edition's very good at that, and uh, yeah, it's good. What was I thinking? <laughs>
0: Uh, since we're kind of on the topic of creating advantages, uh, we should talk about flanking and why it's awful.
1: We should talk about flanking and why it fucking kicks ass. And <laughs> e- it should be mandatory. Why is it even an option? I know it's fifth edition and everything's an option, but mm-hmm. come the fuck on. Flanking is great. It uh, provides an interesting wrinkle, and I think... Um, and I think... One of the main criticisms I've heard of flanking is that it um, makes other forms of getting advantage less valuable, but I think it th- makes it more valuable because flanking Ooh. is the worst way to get advantage. Full stop. It creates a tremendous opportunity. The opportunity cost of it is tremendous, both in terms of like movement efficiency and any sort of like if. If you're, if the party's in a situation where, like, or I guess even if you're in a situation where, like, any sort of formation is key, flanking just screws that up tremendously. For sure. If, if you have, um, this is another thing I saw on Reddit. It's like, it seems like it devalues, like, pack tactics, whereas by pack tactics, you get, um, advantage as long as an ally's within five feet, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes it more valuable because then you can get the same benefit with less of a tactical strain put on your again your formation. Like you can just be kind of a wall of cobalt stabbing some poor first level schmucks. Yeah. Man, right, well I ran co-
0: that that is kind of my point exactly, right? Is like it's much easier to to use things like pack tactics with your creatures that have them than to try and use flanking rules yourself and with the party as well. Because the, the issue that I always run into when I am part of a party that uses flanking or when I'm you know DMing a party and using the flanking rules is that the players will kind of go to any extent that they can just to focus on flanking and trying to get that advantage. Whereas it, it sort of takes the player uh, tactic brain and focuses it down for the most part, from my experiences anyway, like getting advantage is the number one priority to uh, for players. And they use flanking to do that at pretty much any cost which uh can be problematic in a party um
1: it so it can but i think if we're if we're talking about like a dm centric thing i think um it's kind of on the dm though to punish that because if everybody's trying to get advantage from flanking somebody's doing something they shouldn't be doing like consider um Consider, um, my cleric. His name is Christos. Christos can kind of be in the front line, but he really shouldn't. He, uh, you know, he has decent armor. His hit points are kind of crap. His con mod's fine, but I had some unfortunate hit dice rolls, and I'm a fuddy-duddy, so, you know. And, um, yeah. There's no reason he would ever flank anybody. That's never the best use of his time. And talents. Mm-hmm. Never ever. And he's still a cleric. He's still in like dragon scale mail and he has a plus three like melee weapon that he mostly never uses. Like, we're pretty high level. <laughs> Not to brag or anything, but we're pretty high level. That's pretty sweet. You guys are, yeah. Anyway. But, like, there is no – even though there it is justifiable for him to be in the front line, there is no reason he would ever be flanking because he has so many other things to do and, like, there are so many more ways that he can be kind of more useful. And I understand the, like, sprint to get advantage because you think, oh, advantage. Advantage is a big deal. And, yeah, it can be and it kind of is, but I think that's a very, like – Not to, like, be, like, meanie pants about it, but I do think it's a kind of, like, one-dimensional, like, thing, right?
0: Right, and that's kind of my problem with flanking is that it almost doesn't give you a free advantage necessarily, but it's an easy way to get advantage. It's a cheap way to get advantage, I think, as well. And, the, again, the issue is that, you know, a lot of players, when they see that, then they'll just take that cheap way to get advantage even at, you know, any, any other cost of putting themselves out there. Because by the flanking rules, like you're talking about, you know, Christos, um, you know, getting in someone's face and attacking with melee attacks might not be his thing, but he can just position himself on the other side of an enemy and then give the barbarian advantage on all of his attacks when it comes to his turn. And like, you're thinking tactically somewhat, yes, but if you're only thinking tactically about how to get advantage, then in my opinion, that sort of spoils some of the fun of combat uh, from the DM and from the player's perspective. And I, I say this as playing in a game that uses flanking rules, and I see it happen almost every time we get into combat. Someone is like, oh, flank him so we can all get advantage. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I want to try and do this other thing. So stop telling me to get over here and give advantage because that's not what I'm focused on right now. Um, So and and I I see that happen with other people as well, not just myself. Like, you know, the one of the people will kind of do whatever he can do to position himself to get that flanking advantage for himself or for others and uh it uh it can kind of throw things off sometimes so
1: yeah i sort of see that this is a bit of a tricky one because i think the way to get players to not like <sighs> this is a tricky one because like the um the problem you were pointing out is i guess um in some respects it's like a player side problem for sure in the sense that like you as a player don't want all your other players to be doing all the flanking stuff. I think, um, if they're, whereas I'm kind of approaching it more from a DM side thing, Mm -hmm. um, where, um, my initial reaction is like, if you feel your players are trying to go for flanking too much, you got to punish that shit. (laughs) <laughs> and like, this was kind of the point. I forgot that I was building to when I started talking about like my why, like my own like one character wouldn't flank ever, is that like um, yeah yeah again if everybody's trying to flank then somebody's trying to do something that maybe isn't the best use of their talents and they're probably overextending their position maybe they're leaving people in back who shouldn't be left exposed exposed maybe they are the ones who shouldn't be like trying to be up front in the first place even if it does give them an advantage and as the dm you have to like you have to find what weakness if you think feel that they're trying to use flanking too much, you gotta find what weaknesses they're creating and exploit it. Exploit the... yeah. That is basically what I was kind of gonna say. And this is a little tricky. And it was actually... it's funny that you mention it because I think a lot of times... Well, um, There have been times when, like, I feel like as a DM, not so much as a player because, like... Yeah, as a player, I tend to mostly be supporty type characters, um, so I'm not necessarily looking for that much flanking myself, but as a DM, I think I definitely went through a phase where I was just like, oh, let me try and like get flanking all the time, which, yeah, is not always what you want, I guess. So but i still think i still think it's an interesting and fun wrinkle when like it's used responsibly i guess for sure and i will use it always because i like it and i'm so and yeah <sighs>
0: Yeah, yeah, I've seen some homebrew type, well, I guess homebrew in quotes type rules. We're basically co opting the flanking rules from fourth edition, where instead of giving advantage, it gives like a plus two or plus three, depending on how you have that creature surrounded. And I kind of like that a little bit better, because giving a modifier to a roll is, I think, better than giving. Advantage freely because, in my opinion, flanking does kind of devalue the other forms of getting advantage. Like there are a lot of spells, like you can cast uh, fairy fire, or if someone uses like guiding bolt, like that is an attack that does damage and then gives advantage to the next creature that hits that thing. But if your party's already flanking, then well, you know maybe guiding bolt isn't what I wanted. Do then, because they already have advantage on the attacks, um, and it kind of keeps people from using some of those spells and abilities that can potentially grant advantage. Um,
1: sure, yeah. So, and at the risk of taking us back in a circle, but again, my my brain immediately goes to ooh, anybody who has fairy fire or guiding bolt and is trying to get into flanking, ooh, they are they are making some huge mistakes right there. Who boy, right? Well, um, I,
0: yeah, I'm not saying that like like I'm actually saying like the opposite of that, right? Like my party is already using the flanking rules and I have fairy fire equipped, but now I don't get to use that or I don't feel like I need to use this spell that I have prepared or have chosen because we already have ways of getting advantage that don't require me to cast the spell. Um, Same with guiding bolt. Um, Sure. So, yeah, I think, I think using flanking, tends to devalue the other ways of getting advantage or um, ultimately will make people kind of regret some of their spell choices and ability choices that do things that would normally get them advantage. Also, if you have a rogue in the party, they're always going to flank so that they can always get you know sneak attack, um, which they already get the sneak attack right. from having someone close by, but now they have advantage on it And there's a far more likely chance that they're going to hit, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I think flanking, I I just have a bad taste in my mouth for flanking because I've seen it misused a lot, I think. It it probably can work well in a party that's not solely focused on uh, using flanking rules. But um, from my experience of being a player and being a DM, in situations where flanking is being used, it sort of tends to override a lot of the other tactical things that, uh, parties are doing. So that's my, sure. My, my spiel there.
1: Um, yeah. Okay. And yeah, yeah, previous
0: editions had better versions of flanking than fifth edition. So
1: maybe, yeah. I mean, it's one of those weird things. Cause I think what you're getting at is a sort of like, <sighs> We've hammered this over and over and over again on this podcast, but communication between players and the GM is extremely important. But this is yeah, kind of a different sure. one because when you're talking about battle tactics as a GM, certainly, you want to be a bit more cagey about it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I uh, I feel bad. I think uh, I am kind of intrigued by the plus two thing, but also not. Because... Um, with well, the exception of cover, sorry, if you it. take the rules yeah. as written, like, cover is basically the only situational modifier 5th edition has.
0: Exactly, part. right. Well, that, Which, that's kind of my point, is that in the, the cover thing being sort of that standout situational modifier is a little strange, whereas if cover and advantage work the same way, then it's, I, I don't know, a little bit more cohesive of a system. I don't know. That's just, I'm just rambling at this point.
1: No, yeah, that's kind of, well, I guess what I was going to say is, because, like, I like that there basically aren't any situational modifiers, because as a DM, that gives me less to think about. Sure. Um, but maybe there is there is kind of a way that, maybe there is a way to have some but not others that aren't rolled up in the advantage-disadvantage-heuristic uh, Is that how you use that word? I'm not sure. (laughs) I don't
0: know either, actually. But, yeah.
1: All right. Using words we don't know. (laughs) I I actually, hang on. I have to look this up. But, yeah, that sort of... Sometimes I do think about, like, if they were to, like... What what would you want different from a 6th edition? And, like, I think 5th edition is selling well enough that that's not super eminent but it's gonna happen someday for sure we all know this someday yeah so one of the and so that kind of got me thinking just now about maybe smarter ways to like have situational modifiers but not have them be like overwhelming in their both in their array and in the degree of like benefits or penalties they have like 3.5 Which, you know. Right. Which is very much a system of, like, let's have a hyper specific rule for everything. (laughs) (laughs) For sure.
0: Um, But yeah, so that's the arguments uh, for and against flanking. I think it's interesting that we both kind of had a lot of the same points, but just view it in a different way. Um, So.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It is. By
1: the way heuristic adjective enabling a person to discover or learn something for themselves so i did not i would say i did not really use that word right
0: yeah i don't think it fit in context there unfortunately
1: i mean or fortunately Mm -hmm. chaos reigns and all that (laughs) true
0: uh, yeah, but we've talked a lot about tactics here, um, and anything that you would like to say or add in, uh, closing or in, um, as we start to wrap up here.
1: Once again, I would kind of, I, um, I'm, Going to uh, plug uh, Keith Amon and his blog, themonstersknow.com. It's worth checking out. For sure. It's also written a couple of books, which I have not got around to purchasing for myself, but perhaps will someday. He's great. He gave me 99% of all the ideas I was just spouting right now, and I want to make sure that like he is properly credited for you know incepting these brain nuggets in my mind sphere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Eloquently put, as always, Rob.
1: Uh, you know me Um, but i don't (laughs) babble like an idiot ever
0: (laughs) Uh, but for sure a huge shout out to uh, keith amon it's a a really great resource to make use of and uh, that kind of circles back to some things that we were saying in previous episodes of like make use of all the resources that are out there and share everything that you come up with because we're all a big community here right we're we're all trying to find new and better and interesting ways to play this game that we enjoy. So or these games that we enjoy. Um, so yeah, make use of the resources that are out there and share them with your friends and with us too. So
1: F- for sure. All right. uh, Speaking of sharing with us, yeah, uh, you can find us on Twitter at 19 hits the dragon. That's one nine hits the dragon.com. You can also e- contact us by email at 19 hits the at gmail.com. That, again, the number 19 hits the dragon at gmail.com. You can also find us on our website at 19 hits the dragon which is the word 19 uh, hits the dragon altogether at.podbean.com. Um,
0: Correct and yeah, just as a, a small correction, there you said Twitter was at nineteen hits the It's just it's Twitter handle oh is god. just at nineteen hits the dragon. It's okay. It's oh a small. And oh my happens. god! I am. We all make so brain farts.
1: Old. Ah, that's, I'm so yeah. old, and I'm so don't. Use Twitter personally that much, <laughs> and also I uh, at 19 dot Find us on Twitter. Oh my God, I just created I just created a logic bomb in the realms of internet nether space, and now they're oh they're gonna come for us all. Uh, oh no, it's it, okay.
0: it's fine, but yeah, Twitter at nineteen hits the dragon. Uh, also, in terms of communicating with us, please uh, feel free to leave uh, likes, ratings, and reviews. Uh, whatever you can wherever you're getting uh, your podcast here uh, we always appreciate any sort of feedback even if it's uh, you know telling us that we're dumb and to stop doing what we're doing because then we know we do to do that thing um. <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah uh, sure. thanks for listening uh, thanks for making it this far hopefully uh, everyone is having a good time as good a time as we are here And uh, we'll see you on the next episode of 19 Hits the Dragon.
1: Yep. See you then. And uh, before we go, uh, just uh, this episode was mixed and edited by Hannah Miller. Theme song by Paul Mackey. Uh, Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. And tell your friends if you like what you hear. All right. Sounds good. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.